Awesome. All right, you guys can be seated. Al and Linda, we love you. Thank you for gathering with us today. Um, yeah, we, we don't always do stuff like that. It's just um, kind of moved on my heart this morning when uh, I just I swung by their house and dropped off discipleship guides and, and prayer journals for a new series. And um, Al and Linda have been with us um, through so many challenging seasons as a church. And then like, it always seems like they miss out on like the big holidays for their different things. You got diagnosed with cancer around Christmas a couple years ago. And then they had to just start isolating right before Easter, um, which was such a joyful celebration to get to be together as uh, a church family. And I know they were watching online. So um, what we are doing today uh, is is beginning a new series here at Mercy Fellowship. Uh, A lot of what we like to do here at Mercy Fellowship is to just preach right through books of the Bible. We believe that God's word is what changes us and and shapes us. Uh, And so we want to make sure that everything that we are doing is anchored in uh, the word of God. And so um, we, while we did an awesome series, I think, over the winter uh, called Preeminence, just kind of about the church, we want to get back to kind of our bread and butter just working through books of the Bible. And so today we're beginning a new series called Abide, Life in Christ, Life with Christ. Um, and it's uh, out of the, the book of 1 John, a letter that John wrote to uh, some churches in Ephesus um, towards the end of his ministry. Uh, and so hopefully on your way in, somebody greeted you and, uh, and you got uh, one of these discipleship guides. We, we try to put these together so that you know where we're gonna be at and where we're going. So we'll be in week one in this guy. Um, so we put that together. And then from Crossway, we get these scripture journals. Um, uh, this has 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and it's got some kind of like, like gold foil on it and pl- lots of places. The gold foil is not like special. Like we're not one of those churches that like sprinkles the gold dust on anything. So in case you were wondering, uh, it just looks pretty. Um, and so anyway, just a way for you to have God's word in your hand and you can be um, reading um, those letters in that, taking good notes and all that stuff. And so um, as we begin this series, I, 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 we want it to be one that, that, that roots us and reminds us of our identity while also reorienting and kind of reinvigorating our actions because we believe that identity and actions flow together. And so I want you to ask yourself as we get going, who holds your identity? Like what is the biggest umbrella blanket identity that you hold? What drives your actions? And, and for us uh, as Christians, if you are a Christian and, and if you're not welcome, we're glad uh, that you're here. Um, we just want uh, to really ask ourselves, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does a relationship with God actually do? Like why does it even matter in the first place? And sometimes we're just kind of bebopping through life and we think everything's going okay and we don't really ask those big existential questions. Like why does a relationship with God matter? What's my identity? We just kind of, we just kind of do the things. Everything's kind of humming along. And then we come to these crisis points where we start to realize what our foundation actually is, how unsettled we might actually be. And so I want you to ask yourself, where and how are you grounded Do you stay steady and measured and calm when things are going on? Or are you really reactionary, right? Good day, everything's awesome, let's go. And then, oh, bad day, rough, the sky's falling in. I don't know how to deal. I don't know how to cope. What's your anchor? What's your true north? So we believe as as Christians, if we're to have hope and joy and an anchor and a guide and, and a power, that all of that comes from the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
that before we talk about any other identity, your, your sexuality, uh, your race, your socioeconomic status, your marital status, your employment status, your, um, you know, I don't know, any other statuses you could have, that all of those are small little I identities that would fall under the umbrella of, are you in Christ? Meaning, is your identity hidden in Christ, held by Christ? Or are you trying to somehow define yourself? See, identity is not something that can wholly come from within. Our world wants to tell us, hey, your identity, just keep looking inside, looking inside, you'll find it, and then once you find it, you'll know your truest self, and you can bring that to the table for everyone else, and everything else is going to have to conform itself to that. Whereas as Christians, we say, you know, our identity isn't, isn't in ourselves, but it comes from outside of ourselves, that we are created beings, that there is a God who's, who's made us. So we are first created beings, that we recognize as well that, that we've got sin. There, there's brokenness, there's shame, there's, there's things that we've done, there's things that we do, and that separates us from God. And so we, we find ourselves in shame, even disconnected from our sense of self. So when we wrestle with things like identity, it's like, man, I don't even really know who I am, or I, certainly if I know who I am, I don't know if I like him, or if I'm lovable. And so we need to ground our identity in something beyond our, ourselves. And as Christians, we believe that what happens to you when your faith and trust is in Jesus is that you have given God your identity of sin, your identity of orphan, your identity of rebel, and you've been given an identity in Christ of adopted, of citizen, of ambassador, no longer a combatant with God, no longer distant from God, but in communion with God. And so we believe that that identity gets down to the core of who you are and it will change your actions and it will change the trajectory of your life. And so we try to avoid things like saying, you know, hey, have you decided, um, you know, to, to, to trust Jesus, you know, you know, as like a one-time deal? Like, well, okay, years and years ago, yeah, I, I checked yes, no on Team Jesus and then the rest of my life looks nothing like anyone that follows Jesus. No, we, we believe that when Jesus Christ died on the, on the cross for our sins, that, that his death, his burial, his resurrection was so effective that it didn't just give the option for possibly maybe people sometimes to say, sure, I guess I'll pick team Jesus. But that he actually purchased disciples who would have their entire identities reoriented around who he is, his agenda for their life, his agenda that is life. And so we just think that the cross of Christ is so big, it didn't just give the option for deciders, but it purchased disciples. Where the only thing that you bring to salvation is your sin. You bring that to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I, nothing in me is gonna be able to fix this on its own. Nothing that I bring to the table is going to be worthy. And instead, Jesus says, that's fine, I'll take it. I'll take it with me to the cross. I will pay for your debt of sin, which is a pretty awesome thing. And then Jesus says, but more than that, there's more. 
It's like one of those infomercials. But wait, there's more, right? He's like, no, you don't just get the pen light. You also get the Snuggie, right? Like, he's like, in addition to salvation, which is pretty cool, to not have to suffer in hell for eternity, you also get Jesus' righteousness in your place. That actually, and maybe I'm, I'm workshopping this up here, so forgive me. Like, you're getting the Snuggie of Jesus. Like, you're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Then when God looks at you, He doesn't see you on your own. He sees Jesus Christ in your place. Who he says, that's my son, whom I'm well pleased. So now you're a son or daughter. Welcomed into the family. And so we start to live lives that look less and less like ourselves and more and more like Jesus. And so we've named this series uh, Abide. Uh, because um, before Jesus went to the cross, when he talked about what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to actually follow him, to be one of his disciples, he calls his disciples to abide in him. He says, come abide in me and I will abide in you. And, and as we work through the letter of 1 John, I think it's like two dozen times he uses this word uh, abide. And so we should probably know what it means um, because it's just not a word you use in regular daily language, Right? So abide means this, to not depart, to be held and kept continually, to endure, to not perish, to remain as one, to survive, and to live. Man, that's a big big five-letter word right there. One more time, to not depart, to be held and kept continually, to endure, to not perish, to remain as one, to survive and to live. And so in in John 15, as he's teaching um, uh, Jesus to his disciples before he's headed to the cross, he says this in verses four and five, abide in me, like dwell with me continually, endure with me, remain as one with me, and I in you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to keep you continually. I'm going to endure for you. I'm going to remain one with you. You're going to survive and live. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that will bear much fruit. That the outcome of this abiding, when we talk about enduring, being held continually, not perishing, remaining as one, it says, yeah, you're gonna survive, but more than survive, you're going to live, and you're gonna live a life that's going to produce some fruit that says, I'm someone whose identity and soul are connected to God. I'm someone whose identity and soul are being held continually by God in Jesus. So regardless of whatever other identities and flags we try to fly, we're like, no, 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 this is my plumb line. This is the flag I fly. This is the nation I'm a part of. And he says, He that bears much fruit, he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's not just, hey, abide in Christ. Like, I I want you to have faith and trust in Jesus because it'll lead you to just a slightly better life than you have now. Or maybe it's like, you know, I'm starting to get, at 43 years old, I start to get ads for a lot of different types of supplements, nonstop. 
Apparently they're like, I don't think your diet of bagel breakfast sandwiches is giving you the vitamins you need. You need this probiotic, you need this, and all these other things. Like, like we're not saying, hey, trust Jesus so it can be just like a little bit of a supplement to your life. No, what Jesus says is actually, apart from being in that vine, you will not produce anything. Certainly of any lasting value. Right, we talk about this often. If, you, if you're a branch and you're, you're in the vine, then, then you're going to produce fruit. Jesus is using that, that vine analogy, talking about grapes for wine and for joy, right? But if you cut off a branch, you're no longer abiding to the source that holds you continually, that keeps you enduring, that keeps you from perishing. You're no longer one. You're now disconnected. You're two. You're apart. And that, that vine, that branch will look okay for a while. But it's not going to produce any fruit. And the longer you leave that branch out, the less and less it looks like life. And eventually it falls into decay. And, you know, if, if you're in eastern Washington, my friends over there, it actually turns into tumbleweed. You ever going to drive over in eastern Washington? Oh, it's great. You go over there, you see this thing called the sun. It's awesome. Um, and, and you see the sun, and, and then the wind comes through, and, and like these tumbleweeds blow through, and you're just like, there's no fruit in them. They're just dead. They're, I mean, they're moving, but there's no life. Apart from Christ, you might be moving, but there's not lasting life. And that's God's desire for us, is life. Like you know, like, like God is, desires your life. He, Jesus says, I come to, to give life abundant and full. That, that, that God created the, the world in the beginning to, to produce life, for there to be joy, for fruit to be produced, for fruit to be enjoyed. And Jesus comes into human history on this mission to redeem us from our sins and, and reconnect us with our creator. So when Jesus was preaching and teaching and he's calling people, hey, move from spiritual death, move towards spiritual life, he would say things like repent, turn from sin, and follow me. Abide in me. Be held and kept continually with me who is the vine, Jesus says. Remain as one. Jesus is going to remain one with us. And so we're together with Jesus, but also, I mean, we're distinct, right? He's the vine. We're the branches. We've been grafted in this vine for a purpose to bear fruit. And so, again, 1 John uses this word abide to, to discover what life with Christ looks like and life in Christ and as we get into this a little bit more, John's so focused on trying to make things clear about what it means to be a Christian. Because his heart is for his brothers and sisters in Christ who are living in a world that is so far gone from the one that God uh, intended to be aligned with his purposes, for one that's hostile to the good news of Jesus, He's saying, I want you to endure. I want you to not perish. I want you to survive. I want you to be held continually. So he uses this word like 24 times as he writes this letter. And maybe, you know, we're to this point, you're like, okay, you keep talking about this. You talk about Jesus. You talk about this John guy. Um, I think it's important for us to say, hey, who's John? Uh, a lot of Johns in the Bible. Uh, this John is one of the 12 disciples, so original 12 disciples, the original crew with Jesus. He was part of kind of the, an inner circle of three guys with James and Peter, and um, it's likely that John was like the closest 
friend, if you will, the closest to Jesus of any of the other disciples. John, um, in, in his gospel, um, refers to the disciple who is beloved, and he's, he's talking about himself. He's like, hey, I know that I was loved by Jesus. I know I was tight with Jesus. And so uh, John's written about a third of your New Testament. He's the author uh, of First, Second, and Third John. Church history says that he wrote the gospel of John, these three letters in the book of Revelation. And so in these three uh, letters, we see what it means to have uh, life uh, in Christ, in the Gospel of John, you could see what Jesus' life uh, was and, and, and what he came to do. And then and if you look at the book of Revelation, it's going to show you what does life with Jesus look like for eternity. And so 1 John, this letter, it, it doesn't like play out kind of the same way that other letters do. Um, so if you ever read Paul's uh, letters to like the Ephesians or the Colossians or, you know, any of those other uh, kind of towns, right? Um, they start off with like a really, you know, clear greeting, clear introduction. And then he goes into here's what the gospel is. Here's the good news of Jesus. Uh, and, then, and then on the back end of the letter, it's like, okay, now here's the implications of the gospel. Because the gospel is true. Here's how you're going to now live. And so it's very, very linear. And I think us here in the West, we love linear. Like, you know, you just, just walk me through step one, step two, step three. Um, about a month ago, um, I, I opened up, um, uh, I got a, a Traeger for Christmas, and it sat in my garage for uh, several months. And it was like the sun was finally out, and it was time to put that thing together. I just need, like, don't, don't walk me all over the place. Just tell me step one. Step two, step three, step four, step five, brisket, right? That's the goal. I want brisket. It was good. It took a long time, 12 hours, okay? I don't know. I'm new to this thing. So John's, I like John's letters because they're kind of like what I just did there. It doesn't make any sense. You're like, John, you just kind of went a whole circle. I want it nice and orderly. I want to be able to take good notes. I want three points. I want a conclusion. And John doesn't do that. He writes in like a poetic sermon. And, and so uh, his, his, he writes with some hyperbole. I mean, he calls, to, and he also writes with a lot of clarity as well. And, and he writes with a lot of passion. Because where John is at now, he's, he's in his 80s or 90s, and he's writing to this church in Ephesus that likely he planted. And all of his other disciples that he kind of started with, they've all been martyred by now. And John's the only one that hasn't. He got boiled alive for a time, so that was pretty terrible. Probably wished he was martyred at that point. He got exiled to an island in Patmos for a time. And here he is, he's, he's hearing about what's going on with Christians in his day and age, and he's like, oh my gosh, all the Christians are getting led astray to all these different things. They're, they're, they're moving away from the, the elementary principles of what the gospel is, of who Jesus Christ is, of the death, burial, and resurrection. And they're saying, well, that was nice. That was a great place to start. But I want some extra wisdom. I want some extra knowledge. I found a good influence on Instagram, and, and, and I want some pop psychology, and they'll kind of help me out with that. I want some life coachy stuff. That'd be great. I don't know. I feel like this God who made men and women, male and female, I feel like that's too limiting. I want to broaden that one up a bit. And John's just like, oh, no, what is going on? My friends are gone, and this next generation I'm so fearful of, and yet, let me walk that back a second. I don't know if you see John being fearful. I think he has concern. I think he has pastoral care. 
He says, I just want people to know what it means to be in Christ, to be a Christian. And that you're either in Christ or you're out in the weeds. And so he writes this letter and he's saying, I want people to pledge their hope and trust to, uh, to Jesus, the Jesus who's risen, the Jesus who's ascended into heaven, the Jesus who the church, God's people, have been growing and, and spreading and talking about. And, and he's saying, no, no, there's, there's stuff that's going on in the world, John's saying, as we walk through this letter over the next several weeks, that is actually error, that there actually is stuff that's true. And so if there's stuff that's true, it means there's stuff that is not true, that is a lie that is an error, that is, um, that is leading people astray, that is a, a defection of the truth. And so John shows these great contrasts in the hyperbole because hyperbole, he wants to show a distinction between those who are Christians and those who are not. And so he's, he, as we get now into the first John, you can turn your Bibles there. It's a long intro. It's the intro for the whole series. Turn to first John chapter one. We're gonna be in verses one through four in which I just had an introduction I'm going to have three points, and I'm going to have a conclusion. So that's how we're going to roll on this one. Um, so he's saying, first of all, verses one and two, those who are in Christ, those who are abiding, are going to abide in gospel truth. Call it gospel truth today. So number one, those who are in Christ abide in gospel truth. Verses one and two. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father, which was made manifest to us. And so here he goes, he just says, from the beginning. I love that. You can look at um, John's gospel, uh, John uh, chapter one. The, John's gospel says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. Without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So I love that as John's trying to, to reorient our lives around the personal work of Jesus, he doesn't start with like, you know, what are your pain points? You know, what, what's your seven steps to a better life? Like, he's just like, let me tell you what's true about God. Before there was you, before there was me, before there was us, before there was John, before there was any of the disciples, before there was anything that we look out at in the world and enjoy, he's saying, there was a God who created everything. And John's echoing the beginning of the Bible. And he's saying, you might have thought that this God was, was perhaps maybe a bit arterial, like kind of hard to define. He's saying, no, I want you to know you can define God. You can name God, and his name is Jesus. That's what he's saying when he talks about the word of life. That there is a creator, but there's something better than creation alone. And so John doesn't start with humanity. He starts with God. And I, I mean, to be clear, there's a lot about God that's mysterious. There's a lot about God that is unknown, hard to comprehend. He is infinite and eternal. We are finite and temporary. It's going to be hard for us to comprehend. But there is things you can know about God. And they're embodied in Jesus, in who he is, in his teaching, 
through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that we have here in the Bible. And so in in verse 2 of John 1, he says, life was made manifest. That life appeared. That God, the eternal, the infinite, engages with his finite creation and he he does so in, in time and in history. So John's talking about the incarnation of Jesus. He's talking about what we celebrate at Christmas. He's saying, hey, God seemed distant, but God showed up in the person of Jesus. Fully God, fully man. That's why we we were studying some of Colossians in the winter, right? Where we saw that, that Jesus is the fullness of God. So if you want to know the character and nature of God as much as he is revealed in the person and work of Jesus, you want to know God, you look at Jesus. And you'll know about God. And John kind of goes in and, and just says, hey, you can trust me, and here's why you can trust me. He said, I've heard, I've seen, and I've touched. The God's word's gone out to these prophets. Jesus shows up. He, he, he's made manifest, right? He comes preaching and teaching God's word, and it has power to convict, power to comfort, uh, power to challenge, power to, power to change lives. And, and John's saying, hey, I heard the words of Jesus. I heard Jesus' sermons. I heard Jesus' teachings. John's saying, I didn't hear this secondhand, right? You you ever just like start spouting off like, yeah, yeah, I heard blah, 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 blah. And when you mean I heard X, Y, Z, it's like, yeah, I saw a post on Instagram from a source that I don't know anything about, but it's probably true. And I'm going to tell you it like it's totally true. That's not what John's doing. John's like, no, no, I'm first person witness, Like, I want you to hear this, he says. I heard the words of Jesus. In fact, the reason we know so much about Jesus' teaching through the gospel of John is John just saying, let me me tell you what he said in the garden. Here's 15, 16, 17. Let me tell you the, the last kind of sermon and teaching Jesus did. He's saying, I heard it. Not secondhand. He heard because he saw Jesus. He was with Jesus. He traveled with Jesus, right? One of Jesus' closest friends, right? They all went camping together. He saw Jesus feed people. He saw Jesus walk on water. He, he saw Jesus turn water into wine. Like, he, he saw all this. So he says, I didn't just hear it or hear about it. He's saying, I want you to know about the divinity of Jesus because I saw it with my own eyes. Like, John was on this giant mountain of transfiguration where, where Jesus is up there with Peter uh, and James and like he, he saw God say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He's like, I saw the miracles of Jesus. I saw the work of Jesus. And maybe you're like, well, that's kind of, that's great, John. Like, I mean, you're a witness, that's, that's fine. And he's like, no, no, no. I've held Jesus. No, I was was there at the cross as Jesus is dying and Jesus looks down at me and says, hey, John, take care of my mother as if she was your own mother. Take care of Mary for me. He's like, no, and I, 
I saw Jesus resurrected, John says. I was there when, when he restored Peter. John, you know, John always lets us know he was first to the tomb. He says it a couple times. He, he wants everyone to know he's faster than Peter. Um, and then also, like, Peter fails, right? Like, kind, of, kind of three times denies Jesus uh, during the night uh, of Jesus' trial and leading up to the crucifixion. And John says, hey, I want you to know, I saw resurrected Jesus. We had breakfast together on the shore. He cooked up some fish. It was delicious. I'm assuming it's delicious. It doesn't say that in the text. I just imagine if Jesus cooks you breakfast, it ain't an Egg McMuffin, right? It's not a microwave Starbucks breakfast sandwich. Ugh. I do the egg bites now, more protein. Okay. He's like, I had breakfast with Jesus, and I saw him restore Peter. They're like, Peter? Yeah, the guy that says ridiculous stuff all the time. I saw him say, feed my sheep, feed my lambs plant churches, teach, preach the gospel. So John's saying, I want you to abide in the truth, not of a, a worldview, not of a, of a religion. He's like, I want you to abide in gospel truth of the incarnation, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and live a new life in response to the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's going to restore and make all things new. So John talks about in Revelation. So he's saying, I want you to, he's like, you can trust me because I've heard him, I've seen him, I've touched him, I've been there. And then, so he's saying, you can trust me because I'm a witness that John actually lived a life that was changed by Jesus' grace. And then he says as well, not just I'll testify to you like a witness. He says, I'll proclaim. That word proclaim means I'm going to tell you something with an authority. So what John's saying is, you can trust me as well because I've been commissioned by Jesus to be a missionary, to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. John was a missionary, yeah. He's planned churches, he's preaching the gospel. He saw Jesus resurrected, right? And, and so he's in this transitional time now where he knows that all he has experienced in life with Jesus hasn't just been for his personal edification. So when we talk about a life abiding in Jesus, abiding in gospel truth, it is not just about your personal transformation. Oh yes, you will change. But it's also about you becoming a conduit now of God's grace and mercy to people around you. So there's an outward orientation that we have in this new identity. And so he knows what's true. He's passing it on, and he wants to tell his church, hey, I'm going to pass on soon, but I want you to continue to abide in gospel truth. Then he goes on to point two. He wants us to abide in gospel community. Abide in gospel community. John, First uh, John 1 verse 3 says this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The proclamation of the gospel, like I need you to know, it needs to individually impact you. Like you, you can't just say, well, my family loves Jesus or I'm in a Christian country. Well, you can't say that and haven't been able to for a long time. Okay, like you can't just say, well, I grew up in Texas, so I'm a Christian, right? No, it has to individually impact you. 
But like the people that got baptized a couple weeks ago, like you are baptized into a family. You're baptized into a nation. You're baptized into the church, all of God's people across all time, all places. And so he's saying the truth of the gospel changes your identity in such a way that if you abide in Christ, it will include gathering with and participating with his people. That it forms a new people. That the gospel of Jesus has results that spread and spread, not just to make individual converts, but to, but to change individuals who've been alienated from God, orphaned from God, and then brought into a family. See, that's a difficult word for us at times. He, he talks about God the Father. And like right in, in I think a couple weeks is Mother's Day, a couple months after that's Father's Day, right? The, the challenge for many of us is when we hear God's a father or we say God's welcoming you into a forever family, all of us have a bunch of dad wounds, parent wounds, family wounds, even the best families, you got wounded a bit. And so we come into that and we're like, wait, forever family? Like the people from Thanksgiving forever, right? Well, there's some of that, right? We're all pretty dysfunctional. Welcome. <laughs> You're welcome here. But he's saying, no, no, I want you to know that this new community is different than your family of origin because it's not defined by the bloodline you came from. It's defined by the blood of Jesus shed for you to welcome you into a new forever family with a perfect, loving father. One who's active and engaged, not absent or abusive. And so this new community is one that he just wants John, John wants this church so badly to as he passes on to say, hey, even, even, though, even though I had this community that was with Jesus physically, the community that you have, the community that we have, the community that the church has had for a couple thousand years is no less than just because you didn't get to go camping with Jesus. You're part of that same family. You're part of that same tribe. That not living in that historical period of the incarnation doesn't limit your wholeness and completeness of fellowship with God the Father and His Son because we have the Holy Spirit that dwells with us. He wants His church, who's reading this letter, reading this sermon, to know, hey, yeah, yeah, I've, I got visions, I've had revelations, I walked with Jesus. He's like, he wants all of them to know your connection to Jesus is just as valid as John's. Our connection to Jesus through the Holy Spirit is no JV to John's varsity. That you're in Christ, you're in a gospel community. That's why he uses this word fellowship. Right, fellowship's a word that, um, that means participatory. You're actually part of something. That, that it's a side-by-side -side work of the gospel for mission. It's co-laboring. It's what we call ourselves mercy fellowship. It's this Greek word koinonia that isn't just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a member there like I'm a member at Costco. It's like, no, no, I'm part of this body. And we're working together on, on a shared mission with a shared identity and a shared purpose 
to abide in Christ, to tell others about Christ. And he's saying this, he's, he's, he's reminding them of this gospel community because what he's seeing is that people aren't abiding. They're not remaining with Jesus. They're not enduring. They're not surviving and thriving. He's, he's seeing them be led astray by things that are not the gospel. And he's seeing people depart and he's seeing his friends scatter. And he's saying, no, no, you are either in fellowship with God and with his people or you're some sort of secessionist that's started this new communities that aren't founded on the truth of the gospel. They maybe even sound a little Jesus-y but are all about your, your self-actualization or all about some extra spirituality that maybe you'll attain someday. They're all about some special knowledge. And throughout this letter, we're gonna hit and talk about some of those things because John's, John's worried about his friends that have moved on, about people who have scattered so he's saying, no, I want you to be reminded that you're part of a fellowship. A fellowship with God, with Jesus, with his people. And then I, you know, I say John's worried. I don't know that. So just take that for what it is. But like I said, he's definitely concerned. He definitely wants there to be clarity. And this last verse, he says, I want you to know why I'm writing this why he writes this whole letter to this church in, uh, we believe in Ephesus. Um, he wants them to abide in gospel living. He wants uh, them to abide in gospel living. The truth of the gospel that forms a new community should lead us to a new way of life, a new way of being. And he says this, that abiding with life, abiding with Jesus is life and joy producing he says this in 1 John 4, last verse as we close. And we are writing these things. We're writing these things so that our joy, or some translations say your joy, may be complete. You're like, wait, he's gonna talk about false teachers. He's gonna talk about identity. He's gonna talk about heaven and hell. He's gonna talk about truth, all these philosophy things, like, like all these different things. Like, like what's the, just to get our knowledge big, just to us and them, and no, no, no. The purpose of all of this is that your joy may be full, may be complete. That out of the overflow of gospel truth, creating this gospel community, a new product is produced, if you will, and the fruit that's being produced of abiding in that vine is gospel living. That the word from the beginning that has spoken life into existence came to dwell with his creation that Jesus spoke and lived and died for his people. He resurrected from the dead, promising new and eternal life, abiding with Christ. And so maybe when you were younger, maybe another time, like all you heard about life with Jesus was about the eternity. Well, eternity doesn't start after you die. Eternity is right now. Oh, it will look different after you die. But life with Jesus knowing your identity is in Jesus, being held continually by Jesus, enduring with Jesus. Oh, that, that's today. That's tomorrow. That's next week. That's, that's, that's on 
going. And so while John is, is being rock solid on the gospel truths of, of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation, on Jesus being the Son of God, on, on the cross being necessary to pay for our sins, on faith in Jesus being necessary to secure your eternity, all of those things, he's not trying to say, hey, if you could just be a little more religious, that'd be great. If you just give a little bit more or read your Bible a little bit more or, or love the poor a little bit more or pray a little bit more, then things are going to get better for you. No. No, he wants you to know that you are known and loved by the Lord. That no amount of religious obedience is, is going to save you or, or please God. It's going to be Jesus in your, your place. So his entire motivation is to breathe some life into people who are anxious and unsettled. AD 8090, when John's writing this, was a time of great anxiousness and unsettledness. 2023 is a time of great anxiousness and unsettledness. He's saying, I don't want you to get freaked out about the condition of the world. Yeah, I know about it. Know all the things. He's like, but I want you to be part of a gospel community rooted in gospel truth that leads to gospel living and that it's marked by an abundant, a complete joy. And you're like, joy? Joy in the midst of a cancer diagnosis? Joy in the midst of economic challenges? Joy in the midst of relational discord? See, joy is not circumstantial or situational. Joy can't be a result of where we find ourselves because, guys, we're going to find ourselves in difficult places. You're going to find yourself in challenging seasons. And so joy can't be shallow. If, if you're going to have joy, you're going to actually abide in joy, uh, then you can't endure if joy is something that's fleeting. So it just can't be something eternal or individual. It can't just be like, well, I'm just going to find that joy within myself. Because the more we look in ourselves for joy, I truly believe the less joy we'll find. I have never experienced more and deeper joy by looking inward or being more self-focused. And some of the most joyless people I know are some of the most self-focused people I know. And so when we talk about joy, even in challenging circumstances, we're not saying be artificial, manufacture it, slap on a happy face, and maybe your heart will, will eventually get happy too. It's also not a passive positivity. Joy is active. It moves you to places of obedience. It moves you to action. So what joy is, is an active response. Joy is a disposition of moving in and through painful and difficult circumstances with a settledness, with an abiding, knowing who and where you abide. That your joy will be found in Jesus. And where it's not something that can be manufactured by you, it is something that's produced. It comes from having your roots with the vine. The joy has to come from something external. 
And so it's new and renewing. That's what true joy is. It changes us into new creations and it continues to renew us as our world and even at times our flesh seems to be crumbling around us. We remember that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness and that life abiding with Jesus will lead us to a comprehensive joy in our mind, in our heart, in our soul satisfying our deepest longings. Our deepest longings can only find satisfaction in Jesus. And so when we're abiding in him, we have a joy that that strengthens us so that we do not perish, so that we do endure. So that any time we're facing defeat, we know that Jesus has already secured victory for us. So we can rest, we can have joy even in times of great loss. Joy is also communal. Right? It's something we share. Right? We prayed for Al and Linda at the beginning of this, and, but there's, there's exciting things happening in the life of our church too. Just a, a gal in our church is pregnant. Her, we just heard her water broke yesterday. Praise God, new life. Right? We all have things that are happening in our lives that, are, uh, that could be commendable, that could be joyful. We share those things because while we grieve losses together, we share our wins together as well, and it leads us to growth. The longer you abide with Jesus, the more joyful you will be. I love older saints who've walked with Jesus for decades because even in the midst of trial and suffering, they just seem to have a rooted joy that I just, I just find so admirable. So I will say the longer you walk with Jesus, the outcome of that, regardless of circumstances, should be greater joy. And as much as you try to find joy in anything else, but the eternal and infinite God of the universe made manifest in Jesus, you will have a joy that is not complete because it will not last, it will not hold continually, it will not remain one with you, it will not abide. And so if you're attempting to abide in anything else or anyone else other than Jesus, it will ultimately be fruitless and your joy will be fleeting. But there's good news, knowing that even today, maybe for the first time, you can put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus who calls you to abide, who calls you to endure, who calls you to be one, who calls you to be held continually, and that you can then have a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding when you simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.